Open up your Bible to Psalm 68. Go to the middle of your Bible and look for a 68, and you should be there. Two weeks ago, we, uh, we were still in our Smitten series, and just by way of review, some of you were in this room, some of you may have listened online, some of you may have not, not have heard it, but we looked at the idea of our God being strong, and our lover being strong, and um, I want you to look at the last verse in Psalm 68 as you turn there, and we're not going to cover all 35 verses this morning in the psalm. In fact, this, the first seven that you just heard read are really the, where we're going to put our focus this morning. But Psalm 68, verse 35, says this. What an awesome tie-in from two weeks ago that our lover is strong to our lover adopts. It says, Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. The idea is that God in his strength reaches down to the lowest, uh, lowest and neediest, not only in society, but, uh, but just within the church, within life. And then he empowers the church to do the same. And we're going to uh, unpack a little bit of, of how that looks this morning. The idea of talking about adoption would be very easy for me. I could do this uh, literally at a, at a moment's notice. You could have me come and give a sermon on adoption, and I would need no notes. I wouldn't need to prep for it at all. Uh, because it's just close to my heart. And yet, I want you to know, I studied for this morning. And here's why. I studied because of this. Isn't it easy to get, uh, to get on track? You're walking with the Lord. God puts a passion in your heart, and you go after it, and you start to pursue it. And if you don't keep checking back in with the standard, if you don't keep checking back in with the Lord, isn't it easy to become your mission and your ideas about it. I could get up here and spout all kinds of things about adoption. Here's why I studied. I really wanted to make sure this is God's word being preached in a church service. Because that's what a church service ought to be about. And as we talk about God, I don't want it to be formulated out of me and my passion for orphans around the world. Because I don't love orphans very much in comparison to God. So I really want this to be biblical. I want this to be a picture of what God feels and thinks about abor- uh, adoption and to pass that on to you. So that's why I studied, even though I could probably get up here and talk for quite a bit of time without studying. Psalm 68, uh, the first several verses of this, uh, of this chapter, of this song, concern themselves. The psalmist is concerned with the mighty power of God. And you get this sense that uh, for those who've ever been in a place of insecurity, we live in a fairly secure nation. In fact, on this Veterans Day weekend... Uh, something that we've taken on as a family is um, we got this idea from a friend of ours who's a history teacher. And uh, anyone who's wearing a cap of any kind of military service, we just, uh, one of our boys or one of our family members, we'll go up and we'll just thank them for what they've done for our country. Don't know them, don't know anything about them. And it's amazing how that immediately stirs up a deep conversation usually. Um, that touches on a very deep place and you'll get a wide range of, of responses to that. Now, here's what I would say is this. On this weekend, I want to say thank you for those of you in this room who've served uh, in the military in some way, shape, or form. One of the blessings that I've experienced in my lifetime is not being in a country where I've known insecurity from our borders. And when you have been in that place, when you talk to people whose lives have been characterized by that, when they do have security, you know what they do? They call attention to it. They celebrate it. They call it out and say, Praise God that we're secure. And what you get a sense from this psalmist is this, that this is written from a person who's understood insecurity before because he so celebrates the security that he has in the might of God. Then the psalm takes a giant shift and it talks about, it kind of brings into view one characteristic that sets God apart from all others. And that is the word relationship. This mighty God, this all-powerful creator, stoops to care for us. Look at verses 5 to 6. The one who shakes the earth, thunders with his voice, and melts enemies like wax, stoops to care for groups that are vulnerable. Specifically in verses 5 to 6, it's talking about orphans. And when I say the word orphan today, here's what I want to mention We're going to be talking this morning about orphans, uh, about orphan care, uh, adoption, 
and fostering. And kind of clumped into that is the idea of children who are at risk. There's something called social adoptions, uh, social orphans, excuse me, who are not technically orphans, but due to the fact that their parents are incarcerated or strung out on drugs or something else, for all intents and purposes, they've been left fatherless and motherless in this life. So that's kind of a, a giant category that we're going to, to talk about and look at. So not only orphans, but he talks about widows there. And then not only does God care for groups of people, but he cares for individuals. Look down at verse 19. Uh, I'm sorry, look at verse 6. One of your translations, I think it's the New Living Translation and the um, NIV, says that God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. And of all 35 verses of this psalm, that's the one we're going to land on and, and, and kind of linger on this morning. Yesterday, we were with a group of friends um, of ours that two weeks ago welcomed into their home twin girls that are about one-year-old twins. And um, there's something in the adoption world that people throw around this term that, um, that you're giving a person a forever family. And if you're a person who's bounced around from house to house to house, foster care system uh, to orphanage to whatever else, the idea of a forever family carries a lot of weight. I was born into a forever family, so, so to me it doesn't, doesn't ring as true, I guess, to, to someone who that's characterized their life. But I love the idea of what a forever family talks about when you place it over the family of God and how that looks. What was so cool about hanging out with this family yesterday is when you got their kids together and our kids together, they had three biological boys and adopted two girls um, we went to this park, and there was a woman sitting on a park bench with her dog, and it was a desolate, empty park in Rancho Cordova, and the Carlsons pulled up with their friends. And the van doors slid open, and we just dominated this playground, and after about three minutes, she gets up, and she walks away. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to chase her down and say, I'm sorry for ruining your nice, peaceful moment that you were trying to have, but sorry, we had to find a park, and this was it. Um, what was so cool, though, in talking to them and just hearing these two girls' stories, these girls have been through so much just in the first year of life, and to hear their story and to envision uh, what their life is going to be like is really, really powerful. Now, mind you, they're two weeks in, and they've been sick in their household. So this is not just a happy, shiny place where it's just all easy and all of that, but they were so overjoyed at this journey they've been on and how God brought these two girls. And here's the neat part. As I was thinking about it this morning, driving home, the last name of this couple, Christian. Love it. Christians are called to adopt. Let me talk to you about God setting the lonely in family. And where I want to take you is this. I want you to think of adoption. I want you to think of an orphan as Rob already directed our attention. Not to someone out there. Not to someone with a skin color in a different country that's different than yours. But I want you to think for a moment about the family that God places us in. The spiritual family is the church. And God places the lonely in a forever family. And it's called the church. Now becoming a part of this spiritual family comes with some amazing birthday gifts. A family name, family likeness, family privileges, family access, and a family inheritance. And just like someone entering your family... You don't do anything to get those birthday gifts. You just get born into it, and those things are yours. The family name is Jesus Christ, the idea of being a Christian. The family likeness is this, that Jesus is forming his very image in each one of those that's born again into his family called the church, so that you become more and more like Jesus there are family privileges. There's the riches of his kindness, the patience, the glory, the wisdom, the power, and the mercy that he offers. And then wave upon wave upon wave of grace. And like the waves on the seashore, it just never ends. It's wave upon wave of grace. That's part of the family privilege. There's family access. Romans 8.15 says that, that we're able to call him God, creator, father, Abba, daddy, an intimate term. It's an access like no other. 
And then there's an inheritance. Romans 8.16 goes on to say that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let me rattle off four of the many things I could talk about. One part of the inheritance is that we're with God forever. The second part is that we're completely changed to be like Christ. The third one might hit home for you right now. We're free from all pain and sickness and tears and death. And fourthly, we're able to share in Christ's glory. So when it talks about God setting the lonely in families, that's the biggest forever family you could imagine because the family of God bears more weight. Catch this. The family of God bears more weight than your physical family because it goes on forever. It's literally the forever family. Now, for some of you, that's really, really great news because you just had a rotten physical birth family situation. And you look at that and say, man, there's so much hope in that. For those of you who have great families and you love the family you were born into, here's the challenge I want to do for you. One is to say this. Don't put your hope in that. It's not going to last forever. Enjoy it. Thank God for it. Be blessed by it. But don't put your hope in that. That's a temporary family, really. But secondly, think of all the goodness that comes out of family. And I love my family. And just think, man... The forever family of God, the family God has put together, the family that God is working me into and pointing toward is so much better and lasts for so much longer. So while meeting our deepest needs, the forever family of God, the the Father doesn't neglect the immediate need. So you could look at this and say, is that talking about a physical home or is that talking about a spiritual home? The interesting word that's used there, the word for home, that God sets the lonely in homes, it's used, it's translated in multiple ways both in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. So let's look at the physical sense for a second. The idea that someone is lonely and God sets the lonely in families. God commands his people. Now think about what you command. If you have the authority to offer a command, you don't offer a command, you give a command, right? If you have the authority to give a command, you reserve that for that which is utmost important, right? There are some things as a parent I do that I suggest to my kids. I say, hey, you might want to try this, or hey, I don't think you ought to do that. My kids are crystal clear. When they say that, that's a suggestion. But it's clear when mom or dad gives a command and says, you are not to do that. A lot of times, I've told this before, but I say this, hey, I need eyes. Come here, look at me. I need eyes. We are not going to do this. Does everyone understand? We're clear on it. It's a command. Jesus commands his people to watch out, to care for, to befriend And by the way, you could sum that up to say to love those who need it most. Now, he calls special attention throughout the whole of Scripture to the most vulnerable in our society. That which is an orphan, those who are widows, those who are foreigners among us, aliens, those who have no, uh, those who are most easily taken advantage of. In our demanding series, there was one uh, demand that we looked at, and it was this one. Stand beside the lonely. We see it modeled in Christ, but we also see it clearly commanded in both the Old and the New Testament. And one of the points of that message was this. The way that you stand beside the lonely is to join the church, is to be a part of the family of God. This afternoon... Uh, we're going to have the first of two opportunities to be a part of um, a membership class. Membership is brand new at Neighborhood Bible Church. We just celebrated five years last week as a church, and it was a great time to celebrate, uh, honor God, and give glory to God for what he's done in five years. And uh, a few weeks ago, they're online, you can look at them, but um, there was a two-part series on membership and why membership and looking at that whole topic. And one of them was the idea of, of having the talk, right? DTR, define the relationship. And that's exactly what membership class is about. And I want to give you opportunity today, after service, to go get yourself some lunch, be back here at 1 o'clock, and put roots down and say, I'm committing, I'm covenanting with this church and making this my church home. If you can't make it today, second week in December will be another opportunity to do that. But one of the ways we stand beside the lonely is to join the church. Preceding that is to join the family, 
to join the family of God is first and foremost important. In fact, the highest calling, the highest compliment you can receive is to know that you're in the family of God. That you've been adopted by God and that you're able to call Him Daddy and have that intimate access to Him. I want to challenge you this morning to adopt two things. One is to adopt a good theology of adoption. So I want you to adopt a theology of adoption. Uh, First thing on this is just this idea that adoption is God's plan. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says this, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Adoption is born out of the gospel. Here's what I want to do right now. I'm going to talk about adoption, and I want you to see the similarities right now between adoption and the gospel. Now, I'm speaking about adoption here, physical, earthly adoption, and I want you to find the gospel written into this. To say that we went out of our way, for instance, to adopt our daughter from China is an understatement. To say that Clink and Mrs. Clink went out of their way to, to adopt little Joe. I know it's not technical, but it works. It works. To say that they went out of their way to, to adopt little Joe is, is, is totally an understatement. It's not that they went out of their way. They went way out of their way. In fact, they actually had to form a plan. It wasn't like, let's take this exit and go up a few streets and we'll just swing by and do this. There was a plan put together that says we're going to leave our comfortable place. We're going to leave the place where we reside and we are going to go on a journey and we are going to to have this person not be an orphan anymore. That's part one. The second thing that you could say is this, that uh, in essence, those who are um, adoptive parents are missionaries. Uh, I sent my wife uh, this summer to Ethiopia. And she went there for the specific purpose of going to bring Kaya home from Ethiopia. She was sent on a very specific mission. She would have failed if she came home and said, Dave, I got some killer deals at the shops. I went to all these cool things and I got these neat things. And I'd be like, that's great, honey. Love it. Love the Ethiopian coffee. But where's the child? And the mission would be a failure, correct? We would say, let's try that again, and it would be something different. Uh, She was sent on a very specific mission to go and and accomplish that. Um, If you look at any any adopted child and ask them, who loved first? Was it you or was it your parents? Every time, the parents. The parents initiated. And in... And in every adoptive parent's heart is the hope and the desire and the prayer. God, would you allow that to form in my child an initiating kind of love that they can then reciprocate and, and, and look like me in this, in this way that, that you've initiated? It's always the parent that initiates the adopted child. And finally, I could go on, but finally there's a cost involved. You talk to any adoptive family and just sit down and talk to them. Say, hey, what has it cost you? to go through this process. And they might start with money, but money is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much cost involved. And as our own family members who have been adopted get older, I hope this gets impressed upon them. Wow, I must be loved a lot if mom and dad went through that so that I could be in this family. Now, without raising your hands, who sees the gospel in that? I mean, couldn't we just go on and on and on? Adoption is born out of the gospel. I think to understand the gospel, you already have a good theology on adoption and where it is in God's heart. And to go pursue adoption and get a a heart around that actually opens up the gospel in a brand new way. I've been hearing the gospel and preaching about the gospel for a long time. I've been learning things the last five, seven years as I've walked down this road. In John chapter 14, Jesus says some incredibly powerful words talking to a group of fearful disciples that they get a sense something's going on. They get a sense that his time is coming. It's right around the corner. And here's what he does. He's got them together and he's got them close. And he's giving them some kind of final words. And he says this, I will not 
leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And not only did those disciples pin their hope on those words of Jesus, but I, as a disciple, have pinned my hope on those words of Jesus. Now, that kind of love is purposeful, it's active, it's on display. There's no question about it. Very soon after saying those words, he's going to show them the the love he has for them by dying on a cross. And then, of course, he rises from the dead and leaves them. And these words get recalled, and now they're put down on paper for us, and we get to have them uh, to stir our hearts. Not only is adoption God's plan, but it's also his delight. This just shows the goodness of God. It's one thing to have a plan and execute it and say, there, I gave you this. Isn't it totally different to know that it's God's delight? It goes on to say, and this gave him great pleasure from Ephesians chapter 1. This unchanging plan to adopt people into his family gave him great pleasure? I hope you marvel at this. God, my ruined life, my rebellious heart, my wayward spirit that can't seem to stay put for long, it delights you to take me into your home and into your family? According to Scripture, that's exactly what he says. Every single person you've laid eyes on this week has a deep desire, a longing, in their soul, to be delighted in. People show it in really, really strange ways sometimes. Sometimes people show it in a real tough guy image. We've got some teachers in the room here, and educators and people who are around a a wide group of, of, of people know this. That sometimes people put on a real bravado kind of a style. You know what they long? They long to be delighted in. They do. They show it in a different way. Some people are a weepy mess. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty clear. That person longs to be delighted in because they talk about it, write about it, and write emo poems on the back of their sweatshirt for it. So I know that's what they are longing for. But there's, but there's others who show it in a different way. Um, there used to be a teasing line. There used to be two teasing lines that have completely changed uh, in, in my uh, phase of life these days. One was this. We were bombarded in probably the early 80s with starving kids from from Africa, and particularly Ethiopia. And there used to be something going on in the playgrounds where someone would kind of callously, when you look back on it and hear it, uh, say, you know, well, why don't you just feed that to the starving kids in, in Ethiopia? And my perspective on that has completely changed. A, a second one was this, though. There used to be times when in my own family and, and on the playground you'd hear this. Someone would look at another kid and they'd say this well, you must be adopted. Or something would go on and they'd say, oh, that's because you're adopted. Now, it would be said in our family knowing that that wasn't true, that we were biological children, but what was it? It was a teasing thing, wasn't it? It was a put-down, wasn't it? It was a shame. You're different than the rest of us. You must be adopted. Here's the gospel. Listen to me. Here's the gospel. That we take this word that when I was growing up was meant for shame, And it actually becomes our glory. You were adopted. My daughter just whispered to me during worship as we're singing, you are. By the way, here's a picture of why we have children in worship with us. Dad, what does the word redeemed mean? This uh, week on on our, we took a couple days up to visit family. And I said, Tegan, it's like this. I said, it's like when you take an old dirty rock that was back in the backyard at Grandma's house. You bring it in, you clean it up and you paint it into a cool little art piece. That's what a bunch of little, little cousins did. And so I had this whole stack of cool little river rocks that were all painted up and looking good. I said, it's taking that which used to be junk or forgotten about or, or broken and making it something beautiful. That's what, that's what redeem means. And she goes, oh, cool, like I learned a new word. Let's keep singing. Um, but that's, that's where we reclaim. We redeem the word adopted. And someone says, you're adopted, and you say, praise God. That's my hope. Glenn said the one reason that he gives over and over of why he's a Christian is that he has made me glad. That's where your hope is. That's where your joy is. I'm in the family of God. I'm adopted. You bet I am. Man, I'd love to just tell you about it. It's so exciting to me. You're no longer ashamed of the title. You're no longer unwanted or unclaimed. You're no longer hiding that word. Rather, you realize that you were chosen. You realize that you're delighted in and you proclaim it from the rooftops. 
Not only was I brought into the family, but I'm the apple of my father's eye. I'm a part of the inheritance. What we see is this, that adopting orphans isn't just a concern of God, it's a priority of God. Therefore, church, it must not just be a concern for us, but a priority for us. That's adopting a good theology. Secondly, I want you to think and consider about adopting a good culture for adoption. There's a song called Spirit of Adoption by a guy named Jason Upton. I was listening to it this week. And there's a line that he repeats in it that says this, We're breaking off rejection with the spirit of adoption. And then it has this refrain over and over, We're not alone. We're not alone. And I was in my office just being moved to tears thinking, God, would you do that in our culture? Break off rejection with the spirit of adoption that you've given to us. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. Rob's alluded to it, so have I. Just listen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I want you to think about something for a second. If you think about the idea of adoption, and you think about what it looks like to have a culture of adoption, hi, sweetie, is that a good piece of paper? (laughs) I want you just to think about something. If this church were to have a spirit and a culture of adoption, what would that look like? What would it require? (laughs) What what would be required that someone walked into those doors and they felt the spirit of adoption? I'll tell you what's needed. Hi, sweetie. You're not letting go of that. (laughs) I'll tell you what's needed is this. Acceptance. You're going to walk back to mom? That'll make for a good visual. Acceptance is needed to have a culture of adoption. I'll tell you something else. Initiating love. Not waiting to be loved first, but reaching out and initiating love because that person was created in God's image and is therefore inherently valuable more than we could know. I'll tell you what else is required. It's required that we're truth tellers. It's required that we're just speaking the truth. Not hiding things, not not covering things up, not putting on a show. Another thing that's required for a culture of adoption is forgiveness. Gilda, would you come on up? Um, Come on up. Gilda started attending our church uh, this last Easter, about six months ago. And I was so excited when I heard that Gilda was going to go on the women's retreat. Uh, That just made me quite happy. And, um, and I asked Jenny Cook, come on up here, I asked Jenny Cook if she had someone in mind um, that, that could share just a brief testimony. It's so exciting to hear what God's doing in our own local body. And, um, and Jilda wants to share a little bit about um, the idea of, of forgiveness. I'm really nervous. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I went on the retreat, and I was really apprehensive because I've only been here six months. But I know that going on a retreat is a really good way to get kind of cemented into the body. Mm. And I wanted to do that. And I haven't been able to get plugged into a home fellowship yet. So anyway, so I went. And it was all God the way it worked out that I had child care for Tim and all that. So um, one of the things Mimi talked about was the hardness of heart, the fallow ground of our hearts, that when Jesus sows the seeds or the planter sows the seeds, and that he allows the seeds to be sown into those hard hearts, knowing that they'll fall on fallow ground. And, and she talked about our hearts being fallow, some of us, and, and I was really aware that I have a very hard heart, that I've developed a lot of pride over the years out of being a, um, a single parent of a child with multiple disabilities and doing it on my own and not having backup or support, really, from anybody. Um, 
And so I've developed a lot of pride around that. And I really wanted, I, I sensed that the Lord was softening my heart up in the preceding weeks. And I really wanted him to just get through to me because I don't like being hard-hearted. I don't like being this island, this rock. And it became clear to me um, when she talked about forgiveness. And it was very matter-of-fact. It wasn't big and dramatic. I didn't have a lot of tears around it. It just became very clear to me that I was holding on to this last vestige of unforgiveness towards someone in my family who hurt me a great deal when I was very young and for over a period of several years. Um, and I, I had just, I had done a lot of like spiritual work, I guess you could say, around it, uh, trying to get past the impact of the acts that this person had committed against me. But I'd never made that final step of forgiveness. I'd always said, well, I'll, I'll, I won't trust him. I just won't trust him anymore. That's all. And what finally came through to me was the Lord saying, you know, it's time. It's just time. You're, you're a big girl. I've, I've grown you up. And you need to trust him. Because he's gone out of his way to prove that he's not the person he used to be. And he's not a bad man. He's not an evil man. What he did was out of ignorance, not out of cruelty. And uh, in thinking about this and about what Dave was going to be talking about today, I thought, you know, if God, if God reached out to me when I was still full of hatred and a sinner and living a life that was in real opposition to him, if he could do that for me, then how could I, who is a sinner and, and commits sin daily and, and fails daily, how can I harden my heart against someone who is trying to be, trying to, to, uh, to show me that they've, that they've repented of their sin? Um, so that's really, I guess, all I wanted to say. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks, Dave. One of the ways to break pride is to humble yourself and to say, God, your name is greater than my name. And I appreciate that, Jilda, and your willingness to share and, and open yourself up. <clears throat> I have some family that lives in Mexico, and uh, I was down there recently, and I took, this, I took this picture. This is on their property deep in the heart of Mexico, and um, there's kind of a saying that uh, it's probably been gringoized. I'm not sure, but uh, it's a saying that that they embody uh, really, really well, and um, and it's this right here. the The idea of this what what if it was true? What if we had all things in common together? Isn't that what we read about it in the end of Acts chapter two? Isn't that a picture of the church? Isn't it true of your body that when you get a little tiny piece of glass under a fingernail, your whole body would be concerned about that? You don't just say, well, it's just my pinky, right? When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When God's moving in one part of our body, you know what we all do? We all rejoice over that. God, that you'd see fit to be working in Jilda's heart. I love that she said that, at least for her, in this particular instance, it wasn't some big dramatic thing where there were tears and she had to be at a retreat to hear it. It was just God's still quiet voice saying, it's time. That's my testimony. I heard it for a long time. I had a hard, proud heart. And at one point, God just whispered, it's time. And I said, okay, Lord, and I followed. And praise God, Jilda, that you're following. Keep following. Man. This idea of, of, of praying for and seeking and developing and cultivating this culture of adoption is not going to be this dramatic thing. We don't need dramatic adoption Sundays like Show Hope from a year ago. Those are great. I love those. But it happens in the tiny little ordinary steps. Today I saw an act of kindness right here, three quarters of the way back, about five minutes before the service started. I didn't call attention to it. No one called attention to it. I just witnessed it. And you know what I did? I rejoiced. I said, man, that's just cool. I like seeing that. It's a good sign. 
I want to kind of wrap our time up here with the idea of asking you what part you'll play in this. When it comes to adoption and fostering and orphan care, what part will you play? I'll not name the child, but I had a, one of my children ask me, probably within the last couple of weeks, we were somewhere and they said, um, hey dad, I, I, want, I want this candy, whatever it was. And uh, I said, okay. I said, well, how much does it cost? And uh, my child says, well, it costs X amount, you know, whatever it was. I said, oh, well, you've got that. You can go ahead and buy that. I'll front you the money. We've got this thing called Bank of Dad. It lives on my iPhone. And it's their money, but it's, you know, it's, it's digital. So I said, yeah, you, you can go and spend that. And they go, no, 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 I want you to buy it for me. <laughs> and I said, he, and, and, then this, and then this person, he or she, said, <laughs> said, but I'm saving for X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? And so I said, well, I'm saving to bring Eli home from Ethiopia. So I'm saving for something too. And this person looks at me and, and he or she said, um, wow, you know, when, when you put it in that way, and, and I said, you still want it? No. You don't want it anymore. Why? Because it was going to cost this person their own money, right? So if they really wanted it, they would have put out the cost required for it. They didn't really want it. If they were going to get it for free and someone else was going to pay the price, sure, they'd take it. But that's how we make decisions in life, right? So, so here's what I want to challenge you as we move into what part do I play. One part is this. I really feel convinced the Lord wants us to celebrate. I tend to be, I think, a, a pusher in terms of saying, let's go take that peak over there. Let's keep doing that. It's good to stop and celebrate, isn't it? And I want to say... 44 of you in this room and some of your family members and friends have sponsored children from a region in Ethiopia that I'm really hoping and praying to visit very soon and bring God's blessing from this local body to that group of children. Can I just say, keep at it? Keep up the good work? We just got a letter. I don't have it in my hand, but I was going to bring it today. We just got a letter from Ketija, the one that we sponsored a year ago from Shoho. Many of you have been have been letter writing and praying for and keeping this child in your prayers. Keep up the good work. So when I say, what part will you play? Maybe it's just to be faithful. Persevere. Keep at it. The budget's tight. Keep at it. Some of you, though, I think God wants to grow and expand. That was a toe dip. That was a little, that was a little taste. And you're like, I'm hungry for more. God's given me more. I know it. So as we say, as we say some ideas here, Today, I, I want you to, um, to take it the way the Lord wants to, to use it in your life. But it's going to cost. It is going to cost. And to move it from just being a concern to a priority, it's going to cost more than just some kind of fringe part of your budget and your time and your emotion. It's going to really cost sacrificially. It's going to start to look Christ-like going to start to look like the spirit of adoption, like, like the spirit who raised God from the dead is at work amongst us. Um, in just a second, I want you to watch a video called The Facts. And what every adoption video, I've watched a lot of them in the last two weeks, what every adoption video knows is this. It's easy to take statistics and numbers and hard to get your, your mind around it. It's easy to forget those numbers. It's almost impossible to forget a face. I want you to watch this video and just be uh, enraptured a little bit in, in the reality, facing the reality of orphans around the world. Hard to get around the number 143 million, isn't it? Needless to say, there's a huge need for... Adoption. Let me just give you some ideas and ways um, to be involved in adoption. If you can get the house lights back up, that'd be great. One is to start or support a ministry. Ryan and Amanda Burleson are a young couple that um, are devoting their lives. They're pregnant with their second child and um, have moved to Zimbabwe. And I love a part of their presentation to the GO team, which is our missions team, was 
that they weren't there just to meet the physical needs of orphans, although that's a massive part of what they're doing. They're there to meet the deepest need, which is to put them in a forever family via the gospel. But don't you love how the gospel and adoption works together? They have a website called ZimbabweLove.com. ZimbabweLove.com, you can get directly involved in them. We're praying as a church about, God, how do you want us to expand as a missions board, and where else do you want us to be pouring into um, if you give to this church financially, you are giving to missions. I want you to know that. And we're praying and trusting God that that will grow. Another one is Hands of Hope. Glenn Miller was speaking last week here, and God put on his heart to start um, some homes over in, in Zimbabwe as well. And um, HOH.org, I believe, is the website, or Hands of Hope, if you just Google that. What is it? HOH Africa. Um, and you can go and, and look at that. And, um, and check that out. Uh, secondly, is just to adopt someone who's adopting and to say, Lord, I choose to play a supporting role in this person's adventure. You've called them to adopt. I'm going to adopt them. I'm going to adopt this person, and I'm just going to do whatever I can to come alongside and just be a support to that person. That would be huge. That would be a massive thing. Finally, is to open yourself up to the blessing of adoption. Now, when you open yourself up to the blessing of adoption, um, there's these little things called uh, hurdles that are in front of you. But, but, but what happens is this. They look like they're, they're really hurdles, but they kind of like turn into the, the Great Wall of China in front of you. They're, they're this massive barrier. And it's called fear. We have these fears, right? But, but what will inviting this soul into our family do to the current setup of our family? How will this adopted child turn out? How will this person be received by others? How will I be received by others? How much will this cost? Do they make cars big enough to fit all these kids? These are questions that we've wrangled with. You know they do, Viv. It's like, amen, brother. <laughs> these are the fears that you wrestle with when, when you begin to, to, to march down this road. You know what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, don't you? Cast all, every last one. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So you bring him back to Jesus. Say, Jesus, if you're, if you're calling me to this, you're going to provide for this. Secondly is orphan care. Next week we have a homeless outreach that's going to be going on. And um, many of you have brought uh, things uh, to, to be giving out to, to people. And I've loved the heart of this church um, in, in this, and if you have more questions or want to know more about that, check it out on the city or come and talk to me about that. I'm kind of heading that one up. But we will wander the streets of San Francisco next Sunday night, and we will be talking, many of them are social and, and clearly defined orphans that are sitting on a mat somewhere tonight in San Francisco. And we'll just ask if we can pray with them, and we'll hand them a jacket, and we'll converse with them a little bit. We'll, we'll minister to them. We've already celebrated Operation Christmas Child, but how awesome um, to have these boxes in the back as a visual representation of a life, of a kid out there somewhere who's going to get this box and have some joy. Some of those will be orphans, and, and you're caring for them. Uh, orphans and widows and, uh, and the foreigner among you is, is a category that you'll see often paired together in Scripture. And I just want to say, if you want to get involved in any way, shape, or form with international students, it would be my delight to introduce you to people that can make that happen. I would love to see an international student ministry develop here that I was not heading up, but that I will be a regular part of. Amazing opportunity to just be the church to people who are here studying from a foreign country. We talked already about world vision and sponsorship. If you want to sponsor a child that's not too late, jump in. Get in on it. Some of you are already doing that. Keep at it. Uh, finally, one more website under orphan care, facesoftheforgotten.org. Facesoftheforgotten.org has a pretty comprehensive way to learn more about what you can do. What I love about the Internet and the power of technology and information is that you all have access to it. You don't need to go through a missions board and write letters and this and that. You just have access to it. You know what that does, though? It removes one more layer of I can't, doesn't it? Because it's right there. I've got Internet access for Redbox. I've also got Internet access for information and how to act and how to move and how to take a step of faith. 
Finally, foster, foster care and fostering. Uh, the word foster means to develop, to nurture, to promote, to encourage. And I just started thinking about what the opposite is. The opposite of fostering is neglect. And that's convicting to me. It's convicting to think that there are 500,000 kids in the foster system. Well, actually more than that, 520-something right now. Many of them ready for a home right now. Um, here are just some ways to support. Financial support, of course, but transportation. If you have a car and you can drive and you put gas in your car, go get cleared and transport kids from boys' homes to places, from girls' homes to places. Be a support that way. There's clerical support. You could actually go in and support a boys' and girls' homes. Viv, raise your hand really quick. Viv and Ron are both involved in foster care and have a lot of contacts and are actually known in our area by many social workers because of the work they've done for years and years. In fact, Help One Child is December 17th, and this is a screenshot of the city. This is what it looks like to go and click, yes, I'm going to be going to this event. This is where you will go and put on a Christmas party for foster kids in our city. And it's an awesome time. Many of you have come for the last five years or so that that we've been doing it. They've been doing it longer than that. Um, But an awesome time. Come and talk to to Ron and Viv um, to say, man, I don't want to neglect. I want to be involved in that. I want to invite the band to come on up, and we're going to uh, wrap up with some singing. We're going to wrap up with a time of offering and continue in worship that way. But when you ask the question, how do I move from this mission being merely a concern to a priority? I don't want to lie to you and say there's a slick three-part process that all start with the letter P. Let me rattle them off for you, because it's just not that easy. I'll tell you, at the base level, it's this. It's a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's just evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. In the same way, Jill just walked up here, humbled herself, and talked about forgiving others as she's been forgiven. That's just evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in Jilda. And many of you have and could give all kinds of testimonies about the way God's working and moving in your life. But I would say pray for this. Pray that God would would well this up in you. Admit to him what he already knows. God, this is not in me. I have a cold heart today to what Dave's talking about. The video doesn't move me the way that I think it's supposed to or that he thought it would. Would you grow this in me? Would you soften my heart to this? And then do this. Take off the I'm available hat. I think we all wear the I'm available hat sometimes too much. I'm available, Lord. I'm available to do all kinds of things. And then we can sit there and just be available for a year. And then the second year, and then we celebrate the first decade of being available. And there ought to be something in this that says that's it's probably not the way God has it designed. So what if we took off the I'm available hat and we put on the I'm ready, let's go hat? The I'm ready, let's go hat is this. It's to initiate something. It's to just get something started. You say, I don't know what an international student ministry looks like, but I'm going to go just start trying it. I promise you, you'll get some direction. If you're doing a terrible job, you'll get leaders galore. You'll get all kinds of attention, phone calls, emails, all kinds of of direct response to that. You know what? That's not a bad thing, honestly. Hey, let me help steer you. Love the passion, but let's do it this way instead. Less people will get hurt. Some of you go, but I'm not an initiator. You know what some of you have the gift of, though? Some of you, I I happen to know Jonathan's an initiator. He's a doer. In fact, we tried to put him on a missions board. He said, I don't want to do missions board and meetings. I want to go do stuff. I said, you know what? we got plenty of people to meet. You go do stuff. So we said, don't come to meetings anymore. So he's actually banned from meetings. (laughs) But but some of you have this gift right here. Some of you have the gift of going up to a known initiator, and you were to come along and say, um, you just kind of whisper in their ear, say this, hey, what do you think about, um, about getting something like this going? At NBC. Hey, what do you think about what we could do to make this need met? What what do you think about that? You know what that will do to a guy like Jonathan, to an initiator? It'll just start to kind of, to be in there, rolling around. And he'll start to kind of ruminate on it and chew on it and think on it. And um, another thing that you can do is this. Hey, I want you to know, if you were to ever start something like this, would you call me first? Because I will be your biggest fan and champion, and I'll be there every step of the way. I would support every last thing you did toward that end. So just food for thought. 
You just tell, you just tell someone that. Sometimes that's how great ministries get started. That's how things that do massive advances for the kingdom get rolling. So some of you are initiators in here and need to just put on the I'm ready, let's go hat. Some of you need to come alongside and just say, I am willing to really sacrifice and be with you in this. And that's my prayer. What I've done today is risky because it's possible to, in the same way a Pharisee tried to take all that is a relationship with God and break it down into 600 and some rules that if you just follow these, you're good. It's risky because I've said this giant thing that's at the heart of God's mission is bound up in being a part of the homeless outreach, sponsoring a kid, and being a part of a ministry. You see how that's kind of risky? Here's what I want to do. I don't want to put a lid on it like that. I want to offer you little touch points, little hooks that you can get involved and grab onto and say, yeah, that's something tangible. I can go do that. Thank you. But I don't want to put a lid on it and say, these are the, the, the nine ways to be involved in this. It's a giant world out there. I wouldn't begin to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap that up in a few opportunities. So my biggest challenge to you is this. Be in prayer. Keep at your prayer life. Get in your prayer closet and say, God, not only here I am, send me. I'm not just available. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I'm right here. I want this life to count. Let's go. I'm done waiting. And like a persistent widow, you just keep knocking. I'm here, God. I'm still here. What else do you want? I went and visited homeless last year. I'm doing it again this year. What else is there for me? You think God's going to answer a prayer like that? I know he does. I know he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're so much bigger than our dreams and the ministry plans that we could cook up. Thank you, God, for the power that, come, that happens when, when your people come together. And when one part of the body begins talking to another part of the body, and the hands and the feet start to figure out the Lord's in this. God, would you guard us? Would you keep us? Would you rid us of ever caring of who gets the credit for what around here? God, it's for your name and your name alone that we labor, and we do so joyfully because we've been adopted, and it's been your delight to do that. God, we're powered by the joy that that you have for us. And I pray, God, that you would move movers and shakers who don't see themselves as that right now in this room to do great things for the kingdom. Some of them we may even hear about one day. Many of them, God, I suspect, would go unnoticed and like a prayer closet would just be between you and them as they serve and follow their leader. Thank you for loving orphans, us, more than we could imagine, more than we ever will. Give us that love. In Jesus' name.